Well, good morning. I don't know how I couldn't preach on the resurrection, uh, that one reality, that one truth that binds our faith together uh, after, uh, I don't know how I couldn't preach it so passionately and sincerely after being led uh, the way the worship team just led us this morning, the way that the congregation was singing out loud, and the way I just watched everyone just kind of sincerely uh, worship the Lord and celebrate the resurrection. It would be difficult for me to get up here and, and not preach this with all my heart and with all my mind and with every part of me that I have. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here over the next uh, couple weeks, over the next three months. Uh, my wife and I are just thrilled to be able to get to know you guys, uh, to be able to serve you guys, to be able to go through a book of the Bible together. Uh, and so we're just, we're just excited that we get to spend uh, this summer with you, uh, Faith Community Church. So thank you for having us. Uh, thank you for your hospitality. It was a, a joy to get to know and, and just talk with some of you this morning. Forgive me in advance. Um, I am historically terrible with names. It is nothing short of a miracle that there were either three or four names that I were at, was actually able to remember from back in February this morning. So it might take me a little while. It's my, um, I've come to know that some, most of, about 50, 60% of you guys are named Kristen. So if I call you Kristen, uh, that's why. I'm just kind of taking a guess there. So we're going to be... Uh, with that said, we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1, looking at verses 3 through 12. I'm going to go ahead and read our text this morning and then offer a brief prayer, and then we will go ahead and uh, dive right into it. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be re re revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Let me go ahead and pray for us real quick. Father, 
I pray that uh, these next few minutes would be offered up to you as a living sacrifice. May my words only serve, may my mouth only serve to, to preach your word. I pray that my ideas or my opinions, my stories, uh, would, would, would move out of the way uh, for the living and acting word to penetrate soul, marrow, bone, heart, and soul here in this room. I pray that um, those that are yours would be stirred in faith and those who are not yours would become yours this morning by faith in your living Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I decided to go house hunting with a couple of friends of ours. This is our first time uh, looking for houses. They've never owned one. And so we tagged along with them just to go ahead and, and be kind of a, a second amateur opinion. Um, I don't know why they asked us. My wife and I have never bought a house, but nonetheless, we decided to go ahead and go with them and take a look. And we visited about three houses. And um, what I noticed is there is a lot more that goes into looking for a home uh, than just finding one that's available, that looks nice, uh, that's got uh, three or four bedrooms. Uh, there's so many more questions that go into homeowning. And those of you who've bought in a home uh, and bought in several homes in the past couple of years, you, you know that there is more to buying a house uh, than just what's on the outside and what's on the inside. Uh, if, it's, if I'm correct in, in understanding this, one of the biggest questions you want to ask when you buy a house and make a home somewhere is what's the foundation like, right? It, do, it does not matter uh, what color the trim is. It doesn't matter how pretty or how recently renovated the house has been. If the foundation is cracked, if the foundation is, is, is weak, then you're not going to buy that home, right? You're not going to live somewhere and set your family somewhere and set the next 15, 20, 25 years of your hope in somewhere where the foundation uh, is going to fall apart and therefore your house is going to fall apart, right? You would not bank, you wouldn't put your money, you wouldn't put your most valuable possessions, your kids, your family, your life in something that's ultimately going to fall apart. And so... As you look at a house, you're looking at the foundation. Well, this morning, as we're looking at our faith, as we come and celebrate, as we sing about the resurrection, what we're singing about, what we're celebrating, and what I'm preaching about this morning is the foundation of our faith. The resurrection, if the resurrection, Paul says, is not true in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we are still in our sins and our faith is futile. It would make no sense if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead bodily. It would make no sense for us to gather and sing to a dead man every single Sunday, right? That would not make any sense at all. In fact, it wouldn't make any sense to bank our entire life on somebody who's not alive. Why would we drop everything, deny ourselves, pick up our crosses, and follow somebody who said he was going to be raised three days later and he actually wasn't raised three days later? He would be nothing more, Jesus would be nothing more than another religious zealot in history who claimed to be somebody and ended up not being anybody. He would be lost in the pages of history, 
and in the scrolling screens of Wikipedia if he did not rise again. But what the apostles, what our New Testament, what our Old Testament, uh, what all of the church has confessed and preached and proclaimed and died for the past 2,022 years is the fact that Jesus Christ of Nazareth raised, was raised and came out of the tomb three days later. And he ascended to the Father where he currently is reigning and ruling over everything to this day, praying for you and I, interceding for us. So the, the foundation of our faith is the resurrection. So what I'm going to be preaching about this morning, here's the point of my message. Uh, that way you guys can keep me accountable if I rabbit hole. Um, my wife can give me looks if I start to get off course a little bit. But here's the point. Here's the big takeaway that I want you guys to have this morning is this. The resurrection is the foundation for our hope in God. The resur- without the resurrection, we have no hope. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Without the resurrection, there is no life eternal. So the resurrection is the foundation for our hope, and I want to submit before you this morning uh, why, the re- why the resurrection is the foundation for our hope and why I believe Peter gives us three reasons Right? He says in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, uh, be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have within you. Right? So I want to give you, I want to lay before you three reasons that the resurrection is the foundation for our hope. So if you're kind of curious, is why does the resurrection matter? Well, I think Peter gives us three reasons here in verses 3 through 9. And the first reason the resurrection is the foundation of our hope is the resurrection reverses the effects of sin. Look at verses 3-5 through with me one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Okay, so Peter's writing to a group of exiled Christians. These are Christians in the first century who have been dislocated uh, from their homes Uh, They have uh, felt the hostile climate of their culture against their faith. They have been pushed to the side of society. They are not experiencing favor. And so Peter, instead of addressing their condition in the beginning of his letter, he just opens up with doxology and says, praise be to God. Can you imagine if you just got kicked out of your homes, the government came and seized all of your property, everything that you have, all your money out of your bank account is just, is gone down to zero. And then, and then one, and then your, your past pastor or uh, another brother or sister texts you and says, praise be to God. Right? That is what Peter is doing here. He's, he's writing to a group of Christians who have lost everything, and he opens up and he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the resurrection, Peter says, because through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's caused you to be born, born again. So we see that through the resurrection, Peter is saying the the effects of sin have been reversed and it started with your new birth in Christ when you placed your faith in him. Right? So so the so when a person comes to faith in Christ, they go from dead dead in sin to dead to sin and alive in Jesus Christ. Right? This new birth, Peter didn't just make this up here in the first couple verses of his letter. He actually got that from Jesus in John chapter 3. When we talk about being saved or knowing God, we usually talk about the phrase, what? Being born again. And sometimes we kind of lose the weight and the gravity of what it means to be born again because Peter says it's according to the resurrection and the great mercy of God that you've been born again. 
And so if we remember where born again came from, you remember that scene in John chapter 3 where he's sitting down, uh, Jesus is sitting down with a religious leader named Nicodemus, and Nicodemus comes to him with a question, and he says, uh, Jesus, uh, how can I enter the kingdom of God? Right? This is a religious leader. This is somebody who was supposed to know all the answers. And yet, there was something in his very, very inner being that did not feel right with God, that did not feel like he was close enough to God. And so, how do I get to the kingdom of God? It was essentially a question, is how do I get to God? And Jesus tells him, in order to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. That's an odd thing to say to somebody, and we know that's odd because Nicodemus's response to Jesus is, well, how am I supposed to be born a second time? Right? Am, am I supposed to be born again uh, through my mother's womb? How am I supposed to work that out? And right, so the, the question for Nicodemus is, how do I become born again? And Jesus's response is, what is born of the flesh is flesh, what is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, Jesus tells Nicodemus, and what Peter would have picked up from Jesus, is that new birth is nothing short of a miracle and only possible by the Spirit of God. Your deadness in trespass and sin, right? Your, the gap between the holiness of God and the unrighteousness of you, that gap can only be bridged by the person of Christ and by the moving of God towards you in kindness and in grace, giving you that new birth. How many of you guys remember... Uh, adding anything to your new birth or your birth in life, right? How many of you guys were birthed, like you just willed yourself to be into the world, right? None of, none of us actually did that, okay? So Peter is trying to get the church to look and marvel at the fact that, hey, through, the resur- through Jesus' resurrection, you have been made alive in Christ. Your standing before God, your aliveness before God is only made possible through the resurrection. And that is a miracle worth standing in awe about. That is a miracle that we can easily lose sight of because of everything around, uh, else going around us. And, and Peter's effectively saying you've lost everything in the culture. You've lost the favor of people around you, but you haven't, beloved, you haven't lost the favor and the blessing and the goodness of God. You have everything to be thankful for. You have everything to praise God for in this moment in time in history. And some of us feel the weight, the the same weight that the first century Christians here that Peter's writing to uh, today. We're losing favor. We're feeling pushback. We're getting misunderstood. Uh, Things are not the way they used to be. And yet Peter uh, recognizes all of that and he says, praise be to God. Thank God for that through the resurrection you've been born again because there is a massive problem other than what the world is, is shaping up to be and that sin indwelling individual people causing them to be dead and separated from God. And Peter says, but you've been born again. Through the resurrection, you've been born again. And so through individuals called the church, God is reversing the effects of sin. The deadness goes to life. The blindness goes to sight. The deafness goes to hearing. Peter's trying to uh, advert the Christian, the first century Christian's attention to the fact that a miracle has been happening in them. If we just stop and think about that reality, that if you're here today and your heart's cry is, Jesus is Lord, you are a miracle. You are everything you could not accomplish your own. 
You are everything that culture couldn't give you. You're everything that your heritage couldn't give you. You are everything that your works could not get you. And that is being born of God in Christ. And that, that alone should make your heart well up with thanksgiving to God and cause everything else around you as real and as difficult as life can be and demanding, all of that sort of fades to the peripheral as the center of your world becomes the one who caused you to be born again and alive in Jesus Christ. And so what we see Peter is trying to do is say, hey, through the resurrection, you've been born again. And not only have you been uh, born again, but you're being called, you have an inheritance And listen to the way he describes the inheritance that's waiting for the believers. Because again, it's so easy to put our hope, to to bank our lives on the things that we can see now. It is so easy to to set, uh, to, to create little idols in our lives that we cling to and hold on to and love and, and, and it's tied to our identity, it's tied to our purpose, right? And so P- Peter says, um, not only have you been born again, you've been made new, you've become a new creation, but you've also been called, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Uh, the, over the past week, I was kind of having an existential crisis and uh, praise the Lord for my wife knowing how to engage me when I come home and, and I start go, having these little crises. And what happened is, is a couple days prior to my existential crisis, we went to Liberty's campus for a concert with some friends. And it had been a little while since we had been on campus. We graduated in 2019. It had been a little while since you've been on campus. And so a lot has happened since we've graduated. For one thing, we've gotten married. Uh, we have full-time jobs, and we're almost at the end of our master's programs. And then so all that, you all of a sudden feel a massive age gap. Like, I thought I was still technically a college kid because it had only been three years since I graduated, right? Surely trends haven't changed that much. Surely um, I don't look like an almost 30-year-old adult male. And so I started thinking to myself, like, I started looking around, and I looked at my wife, I was like, hey, do I look like I'm almost 30? And guys, I'm not almost 30, I'm 28, I'll be 29 in September. So I'm not almost 30, I'm still in my, in my 20s. Um, but it just hit me, life is moving by quicker than I can, than I can actually catch it. Life is moving by. I, what, the reason why I was kind of in this low mode and in this kind of uh, you know, reality check, it was like, oh, all of a sudden I was like, oh, my 20s are almost over. And, and while my crisis was probably due to me being a little dramatic about it, I think it reveals in all of us, it reveals in me, it reveals in all, we all have this sense that things don't last. And things fade, right? Life fades. Uh, your 20s go by, your 30s go by, your 40s go by, your body starts to not move and and function the way that it used to. You start having more doctor's visits. Uh, I mean, you start more responsibility, more demands. Uh, And then after all that adds up, then you enter into, it's like every, 
every so often, you just keep going into different phases of life and different phases of life. You look at uh, our nation 20 years ago, 10 years ago, it was radically different than what it is now. We understand and we feel the weight and the sense that things are not ever staying the same. Uh, and, it's, and sometimes it can be a little bit too much to even keep up with. And yet Peter says, through the resurrection... You have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So not only is life kind of moving by uh, quicker and and things are fading, things are perishable, things are not staying the same. Uh, Peter uses the word undefiled here. Uh, And we can, so all of our experience here on life, on earth, in this kind of in-between, between born again and not fully realized, uh, you know, glory in the presence of Jesus. We're kind of living in this gray space right now. Uh, not only uh, do, does, does, do relationships and life and seasons and houses and money, all this kind of fades and perishes, but we also feel the defilement of sin in our lives. We feel and know that we know what it's like for a relationship to be wrecked by sin. We know what it's like to look at people's lives that are, 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 are fading and driven by the defilement of sin. We've all experienced in some sense, in some form or fashion, what sin does to the world around us. Paul says in Romans 8 that even the earth Even creation is groaning and longing to be released from the bondage that it was subjected to. And so most of our lives, and this is something I'm learning as I'm not approaching 30, um, what I'm learning is a lot of life is lived in the valley that David talked about. And a lot of life consists in daily dying and losing and, and saying goodbye A lot of life is lived in that space. And so what I need to be reminded of more uh, than ever is that the resurrection, because of the reality that Jesus Christ lives today and now, and He's the same today as He was yesterday and He forever will be, what I need to know is that I have something waiting that can't be defiled by sin. I have something that my own brokenness can't break. Do you guys ever, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like even you, everything you kind of touch just seems to kind of like fall apart, right? Like you try to fix something, but you actually become the problem to your problem. And so Peter says there's coming a day where you're going to have something where your own sin can't break. And not only are you going to have something that your sin can't break, but you're going to have something that other people's sin can't break. And we all know what that feels like, to have somebody else's sin and life choices come in like a train and just wreck everything. And so Peter says, look, there's coming a day, I know you feel the defilement of sin right now. I know you feel the effects of the world. I know, I know the evil is rampant. And I know the hostility is real, but look, you have a king that lives. I know there's an emperor that's unjust and that wants your head, but there is a king who is the head of you guys who's leading all of you to life. And Peter says, blessed be the God and Father for these things. So the resurrection is the foundation of our faith because it reverses the effects of sin. And, not, and, and, and be, the reason why it can reverse the effects of sin is because the resurrection can actually deal with our sin. It can actually deal 
with our sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Jesus is still in the grave, we're still in our sins. And if we're still in our sins and the effects of sins can't be reversed in our lives or in the lives of the people sitting next to us or in our communities or in our counties or in our nation or in the world, if we're still in our sin, the sin still drives us. And yet Peter and Jesus and all of the New Testament says the resurrection reverses because it deals, it defeats, and it destroyed the thing that had power over us. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So it is through the resurrection we have been given new life in Jesus and our life direction is now heading towards what is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Just let those words sink in because we experience none of those three here. Although we experience the new life we've been given, we are still in the valley, and yet our king is reigning on the throne. The second reason why the resurrection is the foundation of our faith is not only because it reverses the effects of sin and deals with our sin, but because the resurrection redeems our suffering. The resurrection redeems our suffering. Look at verses 6 and 7. Peter writes, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at the last sentence there, last couple words in verse 7. So that... Right, So you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith and that it might result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some commentators have speculated whose glory and honor and praise is it going to be. Well, we immediately think about Jesus' praise, glory, and honor for keeping, keeping our faith secure and bringing us home. Uh, but there's no, uh, nothing in the structure of the sentence that limits it to the person of Jesus. So a lot of commentators have just said, look, our trials... All of our suffering, all of our losses, all of our disappointments, all of our crushed dreams and hopes and failures and regrets, all of that's not only going to result in the praise and honor and glory of Jesus Christ at his revelation, but it's going to result also while we're in him and share that union with him, our glory, honor, and praise as we enter the gates, as we uh, feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that are just cheering our faith on and the one who preserved our faith while we were here. Look, Suffering is not a sign of divine displeasure, but it's the pathway to glory. Your hardships, and I don't, and I don't want to go ahead and limit suffering to these catastrophic events, although that can cert, certainly, catastrophic events can be suffering. But notice Peter says, trials of various kinds. You know the calendar that sits on your fridge right now that you have no idea how you're going to make all those deadlines? Do you know the uh, demands of, of parent, parenthood? 
uh, of, of being a spouse, uh, all, everything in life that requires something for every, every hardship, um, the, the son or daughter who's struggling through school, uh, the events happening in our world, the injustices that we see in our community, all, all of that hardship, all of that trial, all of the displacement that we feel, all the misunderstanding, all the mocking, all the um, whatever it might be, all of that is the exact path Jesus took to glory. And you ask, how do I know that suffering and trials and hardships are the path to glory? Because all we have to do is look no further than our Savior. If the perfect Son of God learned obedience through suffering, as the author of Hebrews writes, how much more are we going to become closer to our Father, more like His Son, and more on the straight narrow that Jesus says few will take, what more, if, if the suffering and hardship and trials brought that out in Jesus and drove Jesus towards the cross, which ultimately drove him back to his throne, how much more so is our suffering and our trials and our hardships and our disappointments and our regrets also going to lead us home? In some mysterious, eternal, and, and that gives us weight and meaning to our sufferings. Sometimes when we're in the thick of it, when the rubber really hits the road, we start to think, what is the purpose of this loss? What is the purpose of having to go through and watch a relative or a friend leave the faith, walk into a lifestyle of destruction, What is the purpose of, of me not achieving this promotion, getting or not living the life that I had planned out for me originally? What's the purpose of, what is it all for? It would have been easy for the first century Christians that Peter writing to to think the same thing. And Peter reminds them, brothers, sisters, there is ultimate, there is divine significance to what you're going through. Jesus does not waste any bit of suffering or hardship or trial. He doesn't waste any of it. We always quote Romans 8.28 when someone's, uh, when we're, our, ourselves are going through hardship or when another brother or sister are going through hardship, we, you know, we, we quote that famous passage of Paul that says, God works all things for good. Sometimes I think we forget when the people who wrote this stuff they knew suffering. Paul was not writing that from an ivory tower. Peter was not writing this separated from the conflict and the trial and the suffering. Peter knew. Peter understood in a deep, deep level what it was like to suffer for his faith, what it was like to lose, what it was like to, to let someone down, the person who denied his Lord three times. If anybody knew spiritual failure... That in itself can be a hardship and a trial, amen? You, you sit and think, man, I am spiritually dropping the ball. The one who wrote this letter here also spiritually dropped the ball big time. And yet there was purpose in all of that. Jesus knew that. Do you know that there's purpose in whatever it is that you've walked through this week?
Have you offered your losses back to God as an act of praise and worship? Have you looked at the one who caused you to be born again? If you're going through these trials and hardships, know that you are never more closer to Jesus, to the suffering servant. You are never closer to his heart than when you share in the same sufferings as your Lord. And know that there is an inheritance coming that can't be taken, can't perish, it cannot fade, and it cannot be defiled. And your trials are a gateway to the glory of Jesus Christ. So that's the second reason Peter gives, uh, gives us this morning why the resurrection is the foundation of our hope. And then the third reason, the third reason the resurrection is the foundation for our hope in God is because the resurrection reorients our vision. If you look at verses 8 through 9, Peter writes that you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Some of you might be thinking, maybe this is a thought that comes, you know, comes in every now and again. Maybe it's something that kind of dominates your thoughts. You believe, you're here. Maybe your belief is small. Maybe it's frail, but you have it. Uh, maybe you're skeptical. Uh, but some of you might be thinking, I haven't seen the resurrected Christ. None of us in this room have actually seen the resurrected Jesus. And yet, our entire faith banks on the resurrected Christ. And so we might read something like this, or we might read the Gospels, or we might read Paul, and we might say, uh, you know, it's easy for Peter and the apostles to stay all of this because they saw, felt, heard, and interacted with the risen Jesus. But have you considered something here? Have you considered that the same faith that enabled the apostles and the disciples to see all the beauty and glory in the resurrected Christ is that not the same faith that dwells in you who sees and knows and loves and believes all the glory and beauty in the resurrected Christ? You see, even those who saw Jesus after his resurrection could not recognize him until Jesus graciously, kindly opened up their eyes to see what they were looking at. You remember Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 4. There is one Lord and there is one faith. That means the faith that indwelled the apostles, Mary Magdalene, the other women that followed Jesus, the 500 that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, all these eyewitnesses to Jesus, the faith that indwelled them because there's one faith and one Lord who's in all, over all, and through all is also dwelling in you, over you, and through you to believe and to see with the eyes of faith. I think it's interesting that even those who saw Jesus, it took them a little while to recognize Jesus. If you think, uh, I, I immediately think of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. If you want to read this uh, later on, I won't go through the whole passage right now, but Luke chapter 24, 
Verses 13 through 16 and verses 31 uh, tell of Jesus meeting uh, not his apostles, but just some disciples that followed him in his lifetime. They follow him on this road, and as they're walking uh, on the road with the resurrected Christ, they don't recognize who he is. And, and, he's, and Jesus, he just kind of in a humorous way, is asking, you know, why they're so downcast and, you know, what's been happening around these parts these days, as if, you know. And so he's asking these questions. And then Jesus goes on to open up the scriptures and they still can't see. They still don't know. And it's not until Jesus is about to leave that he opens up their eyes. It's just as you're born again, your new life in Christ was not of your own volition, nor of your own intellect, nor of your own capacity to be able to believe things that other people just can't believe because, you know, I'm smarter or I have greater faith or I have whatever. No, 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 no. Your new life is because of Christ and the fact that you believe and love and have this joy that is inexpressible, inexpressible is because of the faith that is given to you by the Lord. And he has given it to all those who are his and all those who would put their trust and faith in him. Jesus says to, his, uh, to Thomas at the end of uh, the Gospel of John, Thomas, if you remember, said, I will never believe unless I touch the, the, the marks on his hands and put my hand on his side. Unless I see him visibly, I will never believe. And look, Jesus granted that request but then Jesus immediately follows up and says, do you believe because you see? And he says the greatest words that I think, um, apart from other, other words in Scripture, but he says one of the greatest words for you skeptics and doubters. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Happy are those. And Peter says, look, you want... You want the proof that God, that the risen Lord, that the resurrection is at work in you? Peter says, just look at the love that is growing in you. Look at the tenderness. Look at the joy. Look at the belief. Can you, can you believe that? You actually believe this stuff? Peter says, I've seen him. You have 500 other people that have seen him. Some of them are still living, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But you haven't seen him, and yet look at your love. Look at your joy. Look at your belief. Look at your life. Look at the reversal of the effects of sin in each and every single one of you. Look at the evidence, because it's all around you. So the resurrection reorients our vision. To see with the eyes of faith and live by faith and we can be sure of this because although we don't see him, we love him and experience a joy that is often difficult to articulate. And that is the resurrected Christ working in you as it was working in the first century Christians. Don't believe or buy into the lie you are second-class Christians to the first century ones because you don't have the same access. You have the same faith. And that same faith is available to anybody who puts their faith, who repents of their sin, turns from their sin, and puts their faith in the one who can cause them to be born again to a living hope and to be kept secure until they obtain, until we all obtain the inheritance 
inheritance that is promised for us, a new world, a new creation, a, the, the, seeing our faith face to face. For some, the hope of the resurrection is just a reminder that stirs up faith for you. And I hope that has been the case as we looked at these couple verses here. I hope faith has been stirred and reawakened in you and your love and your joy and your belief is just increasing. And I, and I even pray and hope that some of the doubts that's plagued you have been quelled by the Lordship and the bigness of Jesus and his resurrection. But for others, this hope doesn't exist. You walked in here this morning and your hope has never been in the resurrected Jesus. Your faith has never been in a person. Your faith is, has been in an idea, maybe. Your faith has been in you know, some, some way of life. Your faith has been in yourself. Your faith has been... Uh, in something other than Jesus. Well, this morning, I just want to invite you what the Bible invites all of us to. All of the New Testament invites us into a relationship with Christ through faith, dying to self and living to Christ. Here's the gospel. If I could just, um, I love how I don't have to make any of this stuff up or have to, you know, uh, say something extremely profound for life to begin to working in a dead soul because the Bible says that Christ died for our sins. This is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that by believing in him, in that name, you may have a life. You don't have, you don't have to hope and bank on the fading, perishable, defiled uh, nature of this world as it is now. But you can have a present, abiding relationship with the resurrected Christ with the Jesus who lives, with the Jesus who's recreating everything, the Jesus that is going to execute perfect judgment, the Jesus who is going to justify those who are in him, the Jesus who is going to be our light in the new creation in Revelation, that can all be yours. New birth. The reversal of sin's effects in your life. And it can bring ultimate purpose and meaning to your trials and suffering. So the resurrection, just to wrap up, is the foundation of our hope in God. I pray that faith is stirred and maybe faith has been awakened here this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we um, thank you for uh, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you, uh, Lord, that you have cause new birth in us, new life. Lord, each and every single one of us knew what our life was like before we met you, before you sought us out, before you uh, opened our eyes to the beauty and the glory and the kindness of your Son. We all knew where we were at. We all knew where we were going. We all knew uh, what we didn't know until you came upon us and, and showed us the beauty and the glory and, and bestowed saving faith in our hearts. You're so much better. 
You're so much better than, than anything that we could cling to. Anything that uh, the world chooses over you, you're better than all of these things. And so we thank you for life. Uh, we thank you that you are risen. And we just pray, Lord, that you would continue uh, to increase love and faith and joy in each and every single one of our lives. And may we bring you glory. And we look forward to the day that we can share in the glory and the praise and the honor that is due to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.